Ezekiel chapter 34. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 24. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the stray you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, and they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep. Between rams and male goats, is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture, and to drink of the clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And my, must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet, and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with all your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock and they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. This is the section we're going to break down tonight. Now, as God begins to make some promises of future restoration for Israel, he uses the bad shepherds that they used to have to, to contrast with himself who will shepherd them in righteousness in the future. Now, the shepherds of Israel were the former kings and priests and prophets over Israel who were to take care of the people. Now, at this point, though, there are no more shepherds in Israel. Any, any idea why? At this point? Exactly. They have been taken over as a nation. They've been taken into captivity. The nation, the city's been destroyed and the area has been decimated and all the people have been removed from it. Many have been killed. Others are scattered to other nations. And so there are no shepherds over Israel now. And so he's speaking to the shepherds who used to be over Israel. 
Now, they were to take care of them, these shepherds. Remember, it was the prophets and the priests and the, and, and the kings and princes. They were to take care of the people by teaching them and leading them to obey God's word. That was their role. Because ultimately, who is the real shepherd, the, the one shepherd? It's God himself. All shepherds that serve over people are under shepherds, if you will. But their job and their role from Scripture is to point people to God and to his word. As you're going to see in a little bit tonight, they did not do that. They took the authority that they had been given over the people and they used it to, as God says here, feed themselves. They were more interested in taking care of themselves than they were taking care of the people. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses was one of these shepherds in Israel, but he was one of the good shepherds. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, look in verses 6 through 20. Moses is speaking to the people and God through Moses. And he says to the nation of Israel, So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs, flowing in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you'll eat bread without scarcity, in which you'll lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat the full, sorry, shall eat and be full, and shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given to you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God, though, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. You can see how Moses was a good shepherd. He actually was one who pointed them to God and to his word. And he gave them warnings. What would happen if they turned away from God and did not obey his word? And he even said, look, God's going to bless you if you obey him. And if that day comes, though, where you're being blessed by God and you forget God and you think you're the one that did all this, don't fall into that trap. But as a good shepherd, he was supposed to, and he did what he was supposed to do, point them to God and to his word. That's what a shepherd is supposed to do. Um, last week, we saw that... Uh, Date, sorry, not David, Paul was a good watchman. You remember how Ezekiel had been called as a watchman over Israel, and he was told, look, if you don't warn them, their blood is on your head. Well, we saw last week that Paul said that he was innocent of the blood of all men because he had not hesitated to preach to them the whole counsel of God. And we saw how Paul was a good watchman, and he warned the people and taught them what the Word of God said. But go with me to Acts chapter 20. You're also going to see that Paul was also a good shepherd. Because he pointed people to God and to his word. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 35. 
In Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 35, listen to what Paul says. As he's meeting with the Ephesian elders, these are the pastors, the leaders of the church there in Ephesus. And he meets them in Miletus, but he's meeting with the shepherds of the church. And he says in verse 28 of chapter 20, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he ordained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Again, a wonderful example of what an under-shepherd is supposed to be like, pointing them to God and to his word. Folks, we got to be careful in this day and age in which we live, because the Bible's very, very clear that there's going to be many, many false teachers in the last days, and you need to make sure that Jim Johnson isn't one of those. And the only way you're going to know that I'm not a false teacher is what? By knowing the word and examining everything that I say against the word of God. Oh, and examining my life against the word of God. The Bible talks about how by their fruit, the evidence of their life, you'll know them. By the way, what is the fruit you're supposed to be watching for? It tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and following, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit, which is what? Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's the evidence that the Spirit of God is working through someone. Paul said, if I am able to speak with the tongues of angels and, and tongues of men, but I have not love, what's the point? If I'm able to fathom all mysteries, but I don't have love, it's a waste of time. Because you know what? A lot of people today might be very impressive in their quote-unquote gifts. But if there's no evidence of the Spirit of God empowering them, you need to watch out. At the same time, you need to be wary of anyone that wants you to follow them. That build their ministry around them and their personality and wanting the people to follow them. Their role is to, as John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. A proper shepherd should be pointing you to who God is and to his word, not follow me. So be careful about that. The kings and the priests of Israel did not point the people to obedience to God's word, though, but they used their positions of authority to feed themselves and to take advantage of the people they were to lead. Go back to Ezekiel, but go to chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 23 through 31. Ezekiel 22, verses 23 through 31. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained upon in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets is in her her midst, is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured human lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have disregarded my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. 
Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken, the people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them, and I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. So here we see that the priests, the prophets, even the people didn't point anybody to God. They were all in it for what's in it. Well, let me put it to you this way. I've been in ministry now for over 30 years. Been a Christian for over 40. And in my over 30 years of full-time Christian service, I've come to realize there's a lot of preachers who like the fact that their name's on the sign outside, who like the fact that their name's on the church bus because they're in it for themselves. And the scripture says that's not who it's supposed to be. Let me, let me just show you. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The church in Corinth were getting into dis. dis disputes over who they thought was the better pastor. And they were saying things like, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, that's Peter. But look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 5. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants, nor he who waters, is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Do you see it? We've got to stop exalting the spiritual leaders. Beware of those who like the fact that they're on the billboard. You ever notice that a lot today? As you drive down the highway, the pastor, and sometimes the pastor and his wife, are larger than life on the billboard. These are the pastors and his wife of this church. Be careful. I'm not saying that everybody that's on a billboard is like this, but it's a scary thing to me. Years ago, when I went from New Orleans to Chicago to pastor my first church, I'd been an associate pastor for many years in different places, but I'd never been senior pastor before. And so this little church in Chicago was really excited about the fact that I was coming to be their pastor, and they wanted to honor me by putting my name on the church sign out front. The problem was the church sign out front was very, very small, and there wasn't room for all the stuff they needed. They wanted to also put on the church sign when the worship services were. And in order to fit my name on the sign, along with the worship service, this is how it read as you drove down the street. It said, Worship Jim Johnson. I quickly said, No, 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 no. Please, I know you want to honor me. I know you want to give me, give me respect. Take my name off the sign. Isn't that sad, though, that we know the churches by that's Pastor So and So's church? That's Pastor So and So's church? That's Pastor So and So's church? By the way, let me ask you a Bible question. Who was the pastor of the church in Philippi? The Bible doesn't say. Who was the pastor of the church in Corinth? The Bible doesn't say. Who was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem? Oh, we've all made James. The, no, we want to make one 
But actually, in each of the churches, there were prophets and teachers. There were elders made, made up of the preaching pastors and the men of God who were called by God to spiritually oversee the church. The whole idea of that's brother so-and-so's church should never have been. And so be wary of shepherds who are in it for themselves. Go to Micah chapter 3. Micah chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 12. And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at the, that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall all be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall cover their lips for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I'm filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that's straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house, of, uh, of the house a wooded height. Here we again see God's anger wasn't just with the whole nation of Israel. It was mainly with the ones who had been given the responsibility to lead the people. But they were leading the people in such a way that they were taking their position and their authority and using it for their own personal gain. And they didn't really care about the people. By the way, in government today, I'm not talking just churches. We'll come back to churches in a second. Is there not a tendency for the government to become corrupt? Have you ever noticed that certain people in leadership are willing to help you out if you're willing to grease their palm? Well, unfortunately, that same mindset crept into churches as well. Not only in the nation of Israel, but we see it even today. There's always been a struggle over the years for pastors who have a tendency to pay more attention to the rich folk than they do the people that don't have as much money. And the book of James, even chapter 2, says very clearly, when two families come in and one's wealthy and one's not, don't say to the wealthy, hey, come on in, have a great seat, and then treat the other people poorly. You're making judgments about people with your own eyes, and that's not how, who God is. And we have to be really, really careful. Oh, also, you, how many of you have ever heard of Hophni and Phineas? Hophni and Phineas. Have you ever heard of Hophni and Phineas? You know who they are, right, Chris? It's the sons of Eli. Eli was the priest. And he had two sons who worked with him in the temple, but they were just using their position to cheat and to take care of themselves. And Eli knew it, but he never did anything about it. And because of that, God had Hophni and Phinehas and Eli all die in the same day. And the message, by the way, was the first message that prophet Samuel was ever given from God to preach. 
Remember when Samuel was told, was raised in the temple with Eli, Hannah had been praying for a child and she gives, he gives, she becomes pregnant by God's grace and she brings him to the temple and gives him to the Lord. And he's laying there. And the first time he hears the Lord, word of the Lord speaking, God, of course, he runs to Eli and says, you called me. And he said, no, go back. I didn't call you. And three times, third time, Eli realizes God's talking to him. And many of us don't realize, we always talk about, you know, Say, speak, Lord, your servant listens. But how many of us remember what the actual message was that God gave Samuel? The first message he was to preach as a prophet, especially as a young boy, was to go back to his man had raised him in the temple and say, because you've known about what your sons have been doing and how they've been in it for themselves and they've not honored God, they, as we've already read in Ezekiel 22, made a distinction between the holy and the common. And because of that and because you ignored it, you're all going to die in the same day. Go with me to John chapter 11 real quick. <clears throat> this mindset in the leadership of Israel, even though God wiped them all out in this time, it continued even to Jesus' day. In John chapter 11, we'll start in verse 45. This is right after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And in verse 45, it says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, what Jesus had did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. What were the Pharisees concerned about? Their position. They were more interested in their position. And didn't Jesus even say they loved the, the, seat, the special seats at, you know, at, at, the, at the, uh, the table and they love for people to acknowledge them. That's why I struggle sometimes with people even calling me pastor. I really do. I'd rather be called Jim because I'm just one of the many tools that God uses for his purposes. And I know people are trying to give me honor and all that. But you know what? Personally, I don't call you Sunday school teacher. I don't call you usher. I don't call you security. I don't call you parking attendant. I don't call you choir member. You understand what I'm saying? Those are all our different roles. I understand that there's to be honor. Well, the Bible says the way you honor them is you pay them. If we're going to go there. But to be honest with you, I don't want anybody any elevating me. It's better for me. Now, for years, I struggled with this. Because we should be telling people thank you when God uses them in our lives. If someone is used of God to bless you, the Bible says you would appreciate that and tell them thank you. When I was a young preacher, I used to always say, no, 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 give the glory to God, give the glory. And I'd always watch the person that had just told me thank you freak out a little bit like, did I just do something wrong? And then I started to realize that when people were to say thank you for what God did through me in their life, I was to say thank you. That means a lot. But now to keep me from becoming proud, I've learned to do something that I do inwardly. I'll let you in on what goes on in my head. Well, not everything because you'll run out of here screaming. But um, you know when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey and everybody was laying their coats down on the ground? The donkey got to walk on the coats, but they weren't meant for him. And I see myself as the donkey. And when you say, thank you, I actually say, Lord, I just received something that wasn't for me. That was for you. Because you did it. 
But in contrast to these bad shepherds is who? The good shepherd. Go to Psalm 23. I want you to see that all through the scriptures, and buddy, we could spend weeks just looking at the scriptures that talk about Jesus being the shepherd. Let me just share with you just a few. In Psalm 23, listen to what it says. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for my name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know how many of you caught this, but something happened while David was writing this. Halfway through it changes. The tense changes. It went from him preaching. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me in green pastures. Hey y'all. He leads me in by the still waters. To all of a sudden. It turns to worship. And it becomes personal. You. Anoint my head with oil. You. Prepare, ta prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Do you see it? Folks, this is my prayer for all of us, that we would take some time to let the truth of this psalm take root in our heart, that we would no longer be people that talk about how, well, Jesus is the shepherd. But you would all of a sudden get to that point where you just say, Lord, you've got me. Lord, you're my shepherd. I shall not want. All these years, I've had so many people come and say, I need my pastor. Well, doesn't the Bible say that your shepherd lives within you? But how many of us think we need that person? Oh, God uses shepherds, but those shepherds are supposed to do what? Point them to him and to his word. Not be the ones who say, oh, there, there, I'll take care of you. I'll be here all the... And there are so many people that want that. Folks, if you want to be a mature Christian... Get to the point where Psalm 23 is in your heart. Even if you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't worry about it because you know he's got you. Even if you get enemies that are all plotting against you, it's okay. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You have me just sit down and eat and relax because you've got my enemies. Actually, surely, surely, without question, I don't doubt it anymore. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord. Are we there? Probably not. Well, guess what? Go spend some time with the shepherd and let that truth sink into your heart where it changes from he to you. Do you see it? Go to Psalm 80. In Psalm 80, look at verses 1 through 7. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Now, before we get to verse 2, who is the shepherd that's being referred to here? It's God, right? Remember our beginning of the Ezekiel study? How Ezekiel saw God on his throne, and the cherubim with the wheels within the wheels were all there? 
This shepherd of Israel is God. Oh, you, shepherd of Israel, who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. I personally think this is one of the Psalms that the Jews are going to be calling out when they come to an understanding of who Jesus really is at the end of the tribulation period and the nation turns to him. I believe this is one of those ones that they're going to read and call out and say, save us. Save us. Go to Jeremiah 31. No, actually, let's go to Isaiah 40 first. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. Then we'll get to Jeremiah 31. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 through 11. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. Again, a picture of when? The future. When's this going to happen that he's going to come and his recompense is going to be with him and he's going to take over and lead his flock? The end of the tribulation period, the beginning of the millennial kingdom. This is prophecy again, folks, and how he's going to come. Go to Jeremiah 31. But again, even in that passage, he is going to tend his flock like a shepherd. Jeremiah 31. Look at verses 1 through 14. Now, I'm having you look at these passages for a reason, so stick with me, because we're going to look at something again in Ezekiel chapter 24, sorry, 34, in just a second. Go to Jeremiah 31, 1 through 14. At that time, there's those prophecy words again, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace where? In the wilderness. When are they going to find grace in the wilderness? At the end of the tribulation period. Remember at the, after sec, at the midpoint, they run from the Antichrist out into the wilderness where they're protected for three and a half years. They're going to find grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. I love that. You remember in our whole study in Ezekiel, we've seen he's been calling them a whore, a whore, a whore because of their unfaithfulness. But in that day, when he comes and redeems Israel, he's going to see them as a virgin. Again, that's a wonderful thing for you and me in our righteousness, isn't it? How does God see us? Righteous, pure, and clean because of Jesus. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them the blind, the lame, the pregnant woman, and she who was in labor together. A great company, they shall return here. I love that, to the, to the land of Israel. With weeping they shall come, with pleas for mercy, I will lead them back. 
And I will make them walk by the brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the rain, the grain, the wine, the oil, over the young of the flock and the herd, and their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast of the soul of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Again, a future prophecy of when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom in Israel and all those things are going to happen. But again, we see that term, I am going to shepherd Israel like a shepherd keeps his flock. Now, let me also just say, look again at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him. Let me ask you a question. Was the scattering of Israel literal or symbolic? No, it was literal. When he scattered them, it was literal. Which means the gathering will be literal. We've tried to spiritualize it. And a lot of churches today say, well, the church is the new Israel and all this kind of stuff. And no, you can't go there. The one who scattered them is going to be the one who's going to gather them. Let me also say to you that the regathering of Israel that has happened in part and since 1948 when Israel became a nation is not the fulfillment of these prophecies. Too many preachers have been saying, hey, look at the prophecies that he'd gather them back. They're back in the land. No, 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 no. The prophecies of his regathering them are all tied to Jesus' return and he comes with them when he gathers them and he sets up the kingdom and they'll never be bothered again and no one will chase them out of the land again. At the same time, what happened in 1948, I'm extremely grateful for because it sets the stage for the prophecies that say what's going to happen right before the tribulation period or during the tribulation period. Because in order for the prophecies to be fulfilled, there has to be Israel back into the land. There has to be a temple in, the, in Israel so that the Antichrist can step into the wing of the temple and declare himself to be God. The Jews have to be in the land of Israel for him to go after them and kill two thirds of them and for one third to escape into the wilderness. All that had to, the nation of Israel had to be back in the land for those prophecies to be fulfilled. But the regathering prophecies have not yet been fulfilled because they all talk about the day when he'll regather them from everywhere and bring them back into the land and they'll never have a problem again because he's going to be there taking care of them. But don't miss this. All the way through, he said that he would be the shepherd now. Did you catch that? Go back to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34, look at verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on day of clouds and thick darkness. And I'll bring them out from the peoples and all that. But again, I want to just give you a little promise here. God says, I've trusted in those under shepherds long enough for Israel. I'm going to go after Israel myself now. Now, the church age that we're a part of is like you've heard me teach before. 
We Gentiles have received now the future promises for Israel. They're ours now to make Israel jealous, the scripture says very clearly in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 21, verse 32. And also we see it in Romans chapter 11 that, that he's using us to make Israel jealous. The promises that are future for Israel are ours now, which means what? Does anybody here have a loved one or two that need to know the Lord? Get verse 11 in your heart. Who's going to seek them? Who's going to search for them? Who's going to chase them down? God will. God will. Oh, you don't want, just take that one verse. You've got to use the whole scripture. Go with me to Luke 15. Luke chapter 15, look at verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. She told them so he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's not lost one, lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. By the way, is there any such person as 99 righteous persons that don't need repentance? No, but the Pharisees thought that they didn't need any repentance. But what was Jesus doing here? The Pharisees knew the Old Testament. The Pharisees knew that there were many prophecies, I only gave you a few, that talked about how God himself was going to come and shepherd Israel, and God himself was going to shepherd them and seek them out and go chase them. And he tell, gives them an illustration, a story, about a one who will go after that sheep and chase it for himself. He's hinting at the fact that he is that one. Oh, but he gets even more clear. Go to John chapter 10. Go to John chapter 10. Look at verses 1 through 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Don't miss the next verse. I am the good shepherd. He doesn't say, I am a good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And we've only touched on a few of the passages that have hinted at the fact that God himself was going to shepherd Israel and be the good shepherd in the future. And he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, he says it again. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay, my, lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Speaking of us Gentiles, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. 
For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus even more clearly now says, I am that good shepherd. Remember all those prophecies about the shepherd that was going to come and shepherd Israel? You're looking at him. I'm not a good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And my sheep know my voice. The reason you don't believe in me, Jesus said, is because you're not my sheep. Now, if you go back to chapter 34 of Ezekiel, you'll see in verses 17 through 22, I'm just going to reference this. We're not going to read it again, but you'll see in verses 17 through 22, notice how Jesus will also judge between sheep and sheep when he returns to the earth and gathers Israel. Don't miss that. See, it's easy for us to sit back and say, well, I'm not a shepherd. I'm not a priest. I'm not a pastor. I'm not an elder. I'm not someone that's in charge over the spiritual body of Israel or even the, the, the church. I'm not responsible. He's talking about those under shepherds. I'm not one of them. Oh, in that whole section, you remember what he said? I'm also going to judge between you each individually and how you treated each other. How you pushed at each other with your shoulders, kind of like sheep trying to get the best piece. Or watching our kids used to fight over pizza. And he talked about how when he would provide clear water for them, the sheep would drink the clear water, but then muddy the rest of it with their feet. They didn't care about anybody else. They only got what they wanted and didn't care about anybody else. Those human tendencies that were in the shepherds of Israel, the priests and the prophets and the kings who were bad shepherds, those human tendencies are you and me too. And folks, I'm not going to take the time to go into that detail about this, but I actually believe with a que without question that this, how we treated each other, will be a huge part of the Bema seat of Jesus Christ. When we, we, when, we, when we go from this life to the next, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We won't be judged whether or not we get into heaven. That's already been given to us as a free gift through, Jesus, through faith in Christ and through his sacrifice for our sins. But the Bible says without question that we're all going to stand before Jesus and be judged according to what we've done since salvation, whether good or worthless. And I think one of the greatest areas we will be measured is how we treated each other. If you go back and look at all the scripture in the one another passages, I've been a pastor long enough to know one of the biggest things I've ever had to deal with as a under shepherd, an under shepherd of his church is having to put out fires of fights between church members. Jockeying for position. The Bible says, if you've got a problem with your brother, you go make it right. When it says, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right and then come back and offer your gift, what it's simply saying is this. You think you're coming to church on Sunday and having a worship service and offering your worship to the Lord? If you've got a problem with your brother, I know your heart and it's a waste of your time. Well, you don't even need to show up on Sunday to get that taken care of. Go get it right, then you can come and worship me. And folks, I just want to challenge you. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart. If you've got any ill will or any issue between you and another believer, God's not only going to judge the shepherds, although held in higher accountability because of the role we've been given, but at the same time, he will judge between sheep and sheep. And it will determine your level of reward for eternity. Don't let anything build up between you and somebody else in the church. Now, the time we have left, I want to wrestle over verses 23 and 24. Verses 23 and 24 of Ezekiel 34 have been the center of much discussion over the years. I'm going to read to you again verses 23 and 24. It says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, 
my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be, shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Now, some Bible teachers say that this reference to David is simply referring to Jesus, who will shepherd his flock, because Jesus comes from the lineage of David. And so that, this, that, that Ezekiel called Jesus David at this time because we didn't know Jesus' name, so he just used the name David. There are others, and I'm going to tell you now, I'm in this category, that others believe that this passage and many others that I'm going to show you in a second speak of the fact that King David himself will rule in Jerusalem with Jesus. I don't believe that this is a reference to Jesus. I think this is a reference to David himself. Remember how I've taught you all through Scripture. The Bible uses symbolic language, but whenever it does, it always tells you what the symbolism is. Never leaves it for us to guess. And in this passage and many others, you're going to see clearly that I think that I can show you from Scripture that David here is actually King David. Now, stick with me here and I'll show you what I mean. First off, we should not be surprised to hear that people other than Jesus will rule and shepherd the people of Israel during the Millennial Kingdom. Go with me to Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, don't be shocked at the fact that there will be other shepherds over Israel besides Jesus in the Millennial Kingdom. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 27 and 28. Now, let, before we get to verse 27, let me set the stage. Jesus has just said it's, it's really hard, almost impossible for a rich person to get into heaven. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? In other words, um, by the way, Jesus, if it's really hard for a rich person to get into heaven, just in case you didn't notice, we're dirt poor. <laughs> Hope you're noticing. And Jesus says, I said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You see it? So we now definitely know that Jesus is going to sit on his throne in Jerusalem, but the 12 apostles are going to sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So there are going to be other under-shepherds besides Jesus. Now, we also know, we're not, if you want to go look at it later on, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 talk about the fact that we Gentiles are going to rule and reign with Jesus as well. Remember, we're going to come back, and we're going to rule and reign over the Gentile nations across the globe. And the Bible is very clear that we're going to reign with him. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he talks about the promises to the church and how we're going to sit on thrones with him and rule with him. But go to Isaiah 32 as well and look at verse 1. Isaiah 32, just one verse, verse 1. It says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. A prophecy about the time when Jesus will come and reign in righteousness, and there will be princes who rule with him in justice. So don't be surprised to hear that people other than Jesus will rule during the Millennial Kingdom. Secondly, this isn't the only place that references, Ezekiel 34, 23 and 24, is not the only place in Scripture that references David as being in the Millennial Kingdom. And some of these passages make very clear that David and the Lord are two different people. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Hosea chapter 3. Hosea chapter 3, look at verses 4 and 5. 
says, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek who? The Lord, their God, and David, their king. Two different people. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. When Jesus sits in Jerusalem and sits on his throne in Jerusalem, I think the Bible teaches that David is going to rule with him. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Exactly. No, that's 32. Right. And but it says, and there will be princes. Right. That's what I want you to see is that the Bible is we shouldn't be surprised to see that there'll be a king and other princes. That's what I'm showing. No, the one in righteousness is Jesus in Isaiah 32, verse one. But then it also said there'll be princes. And I want you to see that the king is going to be Jesus and the princes is going to, one of the princes is going to be David. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Look at verses eight and nine. And by the way, as I share this with you, I'll tell you now, there are respected preachers that I, you would know by name and I know well who don't see it this way. I'm sharing with you what I believe the Bible's showing. You get to wrestle with whether or not you accept it, and that's okay. Jeremiah 30, verses 8 and 9. Because I think it would be a lot of fun being in the millennial kingdom saying, see, David, let me introduce you to David. All right, go to Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, talking about the Antichrist, and I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. But they shall serve who? The Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Ooh, David's being raised up for them. Jesus won't have to be raised up. David has gone to be with the Lord, but he doesn't get his body till the end of the, the tribulation period. And when the Old Testament saints get their bodies, and they're going to have that resurrection of the Old Testament saints... Is Jesus going to have to be raised up? Who's being raised up? David. King David is going to rule and reign with Jesus in Jerusalem. Go to Ezekiel chapter 37. Look at verses 24 through 27. Ezekiel 37, 24 through 27. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. So here we see king and prince used interchangeably. But again, it says David. And again, as I've tried to teach you, unless the Bible tells us what it symbolizes, David is actually Jesus, we should take David to mean David. And I believe, as I've already shown you, that David does mean David. But there's more evidence. Not only that, you're going to see later in our study of Ezekiel, when we get into these chapters that I'm just going to hit really quickly in our closing time, 
as we start really breaking down the millennial kingdom. And if you can be here, please don't miss, because let me just tell you, it's going to be an amazing study. Ezekiel is one of the most specific books when it comes to what the millennial kingdom is going to actually look like. We've always heard people talk about the millennial kingdom and stuff. We're going to look at how Isaiah makes some prophecies. But Ezekiel goes into unbelievable detail, even to the point of showing you where each tribe is going to live and what the boundaries of their land, each of the tribes is going to be. And by the way, where the tribes are going to be during the millennial kingdom is totally different than they were back in Joshua when God brought them into the land the first time. When they're in the millennial kingdom, it's going to be different. We're going to be talking about the temple and what it looks like, who gets to live where. But as you're about to see, there are going to be some things about this prince, David, that can't be Jesus. Now, let me just tell you before we read these verses, I'm about to read verses to you that are going to make you go, huh? You're going to have to wait till we get into it to be able to dive into the depth of all these things because you're about to see that during the millennial kingdom there's going to be sacrificial system again. We're going to go back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. You're going to see in just a second that the prince is going to be offering sacrifices for his own sin. The prince is going to have offspring and sons and he's going to be sharing his inheritance with his sons. There are some script descriptions coming up of the prince that show it can't be Jesus. Let me show you a few. Go to Ezekiel 44. Ezekiel 44, look at verses 1 through 3. Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces east, and it was shut. And the Lord said to me, This gate shall remain shut, it shall not be opened, and no one shall enter by it, for the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it. Therefore it shall remain shut. Only the prince may sit in it, to eat bread before the Lord. Do you see it again? Distinction between the prince and the Lord. The Lord has already passed through the eastern gate. They shut it. Now, by the way, for years, I've heard prophecy people talk about how the eastern gate's shut so that it will be opened when Jesus comes through. This prophecy says that it's going to be shut after he goes through. It's going to be shut, and the only person that can sit in that gate will be the prince, and he's going to do it before in front of the Lord. All right? He shall enter by the way of the vestibule of the gate and go out by the same way. Go to Ezekiel 45. Look at verses 7 through 25. And to the prince shall belong the land on both sides of the holy district. The holy district's where Jesus is going to be. And we'll get into that with the temple and where his throne's going to be and where his holy district's going to be. But on the sides of the holy district, the prince, David, is going to, that land's going to belong to, on, to, the, to the prince on the, both sides of the holy district. The property of the city alongside the holy district and the property of the city on the west and on the east corresponding in length to one of the tribal portions and extending from the western to the eastern boundary of the land. It is to be his property in Israel. And my princes shall no more oppress my people, but they shall let the house of Israel have the land according to their tribes. Thus says the Lord God, enough, O princes of Israel, put away violence and oppression and execute justice and righteousness. Cease your evictions of my people, declares the Lord God. You shall have just balances, a just ephah and a just bath. The ephah and the bath shall be of the same measure. The bath containing one-tenth of an omer and the ephah one-tenth of an omer. The omer shall be the standard measure. The shekel shall be 20 geras. 20 shekels plus 25 shekels plus 15 shekels shall be your mina. This is the offering that you shall make. 
one-sixth of an ephah from each omer of wheat, and one-sixth of an ephah from each omer of barley. And as the fixed portion of oil measured in baths, one-tenth of a bath from each core, the core, like the omer, contains ten baths, and one sheep from every flock of two hundred from the watering places of Israel for grain and burnt offerings and peace offerings to make atonement for them, declares the Lord God. All the people of the land shall be obliged to give this offering to the prince in Israel. It shall be the prince's duty to furnish the burnt offerings, the grain offerings and drink offerings at the feast, the new moon and the Sabbath, all the appointed feasts of the house of Israel. He shall provide the sin offerings, grain offerings, burnt offerings, and peace offerings to make atonement on behalf of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, in the first month, on the first day of the month, you shall take a bull from the herd without blemish and purify the sanctuary. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering and put it on the doorposts of the temple, the four corners of the ledge of the altar, and the posts of the gate of the inner court. You shall do the same on the seventh day of the month for anyone who has sinned through error or ignorance, or you so shall make atonement for the temple. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, you shall celebrate the feast of the Passover, and for seven days unleavened bread shall be eaten. On that day the prince shall provide for himself and all the people of the land a young bull for a sin offering. And on the seven days of the festival he shall provide as a burnt offering to the Lord seven young bulls and seven rams without blemish on each of the seven days, and a male goat daily for a sin offering and shall provide as a grain offering an ephah for each bull, an ephah for each ram, and a hen of oil to each ephah. In the seventh month, on the fifteenth day of the month, and for the seven days of the feast, he shall make the same provision for sin offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, and for the oil. Didn't that read like the book of Leviticus? Again, don't try to figure it out now. We're going to go into great detail when we get into these chapters. But you notice there's a distinction between the priest and the Lord again in this passage? Sorry, not the priest, but the prince? And the prince is going to offer a sacrifice for his sin and the sin of the people. Can't be Jesus. Leave it at that. You'll hurt yourself trying to figure it out anymore. We'll get there. We'll get there. But the answer is too long to try to get there tonight in the three minutes we have left. In Ezekiel 46, verses 16 through 18, thus says the Lord God, if the prince makes a gift to any of his sons as an inheritance, it shall belong to his sons. It's their property by inheritance. But if he makes a gift out of his inheritance to one of his servants, it shall be his to the year of liberty. Then it shall revert to the prince. Truly it's his inheritance. It shall belong to his sons. The prince shall not take any of the inheritance of the people, thrusting them out of their property. He shall give his sons their inheritance out of his own property, so that none of my people shall be scattered from his property. Again, the prince is going to have descendants to share his property with. Well, aren't we all sons of God? Yeah, but if that were the case, the property that you're going to see, which is only a certain amount, he couldn't give it to all of us. This is talking about a specific individual. I believe it's David. We won't have time to read chapter 48, but if you look at verses 41 and 42, it says, sorry, 21 and 22, chapter 48, verse 21 and 22 says about the same thing, that he gets to share his inheritance with his descendants, with his sons. We're just going to leave it at that for now. We're going to come back and finish the rest of chapter 34 next week. By the way, I'm excited about, for those of you that like, like camping, you're going to see when we get into the rest of chapter 34, that during the Millennial Kingdom, it, you're going to be able to sleep in the woods and not be afraid of wild animals. It literally says that. And we're going to go into great detail about that from the Scriptures. But for tonight, let's just leave it at this. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. And if you know Him, you're fine. If you have Him as your Savior... You have everything you need. Does he use people in our lives? Yes, and that's a blessing. 
But don't for a second think you need a human being to meet your need when Jesus is in you. I love you all. We'll see you next week.